Welcome to Unexpected Points. I'm your host, Kevin Cole. I'm joined today by Aaron Reese of The Athletic. He covers the Houston Texans and... I don't know. I decided to have you on this week. It's kind of random, basically. Nothing really going on <laughs> in Texas land. You know, no first-round pick, no second-round pick, not a lot of free agency money. So uh, not a lot to talk about, I guess, right now. Yeah, very, very quiet times, aside from the uh, the fan protest that was planned on MLK Day to march to the stadium. But yeah, otherwise, nothing really <laughs> going on. Yeah, it's protest season. So I guess uh, <laughs> I, I guess there's, a, there's another one. There's another one now. Um, yeah, so let's – Watson is obviously the talk all over the place. Uh, I'll say that I misread this situation a little bit because I've been more of this reflexive instinct to think that superstar talent is going to stay put and mm-hmm. things will work out. And there was, a, I guess, the first inkling of, of problems in the organization. It, it kind of came on quickly. It was like there's a dissatisfaction. And now a few weeks later, as more and more reporting is is going on – and in some ways, there's kind of like a one – you have the one-upsmanship on this reporting. It goes from mm-hmm. Watson is dissatisfied to he wasn't included in the talks to he won't talk to the organization to there's no way to repair this relationship. So from, from your perspective as someone with the you – know, your ear to the streets of, uh, of Houston, what, what do you think is going on right now? I mean I think there's – the truth is, is – um... It's somewhere in the middle there. I mean, I think you talk yeah. to people on his, on his side of things who uh, it, it all does line up to those stories to read that, you know, there's no way he's he's going to play for them again or, or you know, it's that he's played his last snap or I don't see any way it can be salvaged even if they hire Eric Bieniemy or whatever. And then you have people on the Texan side that are just like, this guy's under contract for five more years. He's like one of the best players, the most important position in sports. Like we're, we're not trading him, right? So, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm of the mindset kind of that like, in January, it all is kind of, it is a lot of noise, right? I mean, like, he doesn't even know who the coach is yet. How can you really say he doesn't want to play for him necessarily? I mean, obviously, there are bigger issues at play than just that. But, um, yeah, I just I think it's hard to really say one or the other right now. I think the big thing is, like, they're going to, it seems like we're headed towards them getting in a staring contest of it, right? And who's, who's going to blink first? Like, does Watson want to, is he really seriously about uh, sitting out games to really, you know, force their hand? Are the Texans willing to kind of uh, ride that to the end, you know? Uh, and I think if I, if I was a GM, like I would, I would, I would play it out because I think even if you, even if you're willing to trade them and you get a huge haul, like you're just chasing the next version of them. Yeah, I, I get that. I think that's where I was initially on this again thinking that he wouldn't be traded I mean, it's, it's kind of unprecedented i know that the we're in the era of player empowerment uh a lot of people think about the nba when it comes to real superstar talent it hasn't really come to the nfl with superstar talent and I, talent i only say that meaning the quarterback basically like for these mm-hmm. other guys that people appoint to have been traded whether it's jalen ramsey uh who was dissatisfied and got and got traded or situations like that or jamal adams is another is another good example I think you can argue that those teams in trading those players probably benefited in in, in trading these mm-hmm. players in a way. You know, they yeah. weren't in a position to win. They got multiple first round picks. They don't have to sign a long contract. All those things come together. I think it's I think Deshaun Watson is more analogous to how I see some of these NBA trades where you, you know, visit and let's say it's a Anthony Davis not, not not too long ago there when he when he got traded to the Lakers, like it's almost impossible to recoup that value. There's there's no amount of picks. They, they throw out every single first-round pick in perpetuity. They trade players, but you just can't get to that. That seems a little bit like what we're talking about with Deshaun Watson. Right, because I think, like I said, even if you get six first-round picks, you're obviously devoting some of those, at least, to finding another quarterback. And chances are, just what we know about the history of the draft and stuff like whoever you take is not going to be as good as Deshaun Watson. And I also think kind of along the point of like that, we've not seen this with the quarterback. I don't know what you think about this, but part of it to me would have seen that if the guy is good enough that he could leverage himself and command such a trade, he also is probably so good that the team is not going to ever be in such a disaster position that he would want to do so. Right. Like the, the quarterback would at least be competent enough that the team would be competitive and there would be kind of uh you can at least believe like the situation is, is salvageable. Right. I mean, I think if anything, that really speaks to kind of how screwed up the Texan situation is, how bad the rest of the roster is around him, that this guy could be clearly, you know, by basically any metric, a top five quarterback this year and the team could be four and 12 and he could be so unsatisfied that he'd want to come out. Yeah. And 
the the contract I think for Watson is a little bit different than what we talked about. Even in the NBA situations, where typically it's maybe a year left on on the deal, they become an unrestricted free agent afterwards. Uh, I mean, for Watson here, we have five years left on on him. He signed a four year extension, but that extension went on the back end of the, what he just played was the last year of his rookie deal, the the fifth year option, and then the back end of that. So five more years heading out here, and in the NFL. The franchise tag is affordable for at least two years. So we're talking about really like seven years of, of control that they that they have over Watson if they really wanted to exercise it. So I think that's a that's a whole big difference. But I will say, as I looked into this more, I can start to see how a new regime, everyone coming in, maybe could convince themselves that this could happen. I, I know you say, you know, Watson's top five quarterback, right? Um, but the team was four and twelve. Uh, like you mentioned, they don't have a lot of talent on the roster. Probably the, by some metrics, the worst defense in the NFL. Um, on the offensively, a lot of resources have been dedicated to a, a decent offensive line and the weapons that are around it. Kind of expensive weapons, also uh, relative to their to their production. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Fuller is a free agent. Uh, we'll see what happens with, with JJ Watt uh, over the cap. You know, the 190, I think, is the cap number, 190 million next year versus what they're saying now today is maybe 180. So, you know, if you're the Texans, you sit back and you say, listen, we we don't want to make this deal, but let's say we can get the number two or the number three pick. I would say preferably the number two pick from the Jets. I think it's my favorite deal. So let's say you get the number two pick. You can choose mm-hmm. your non-Trevor Lawrence quarterback who is going to be paid on average, I think, over his deal like $10 million a year versus Watson's going to cost you – whatever it ends up being, you know, 40 million a year going, I think it's more than that going forward because he is a little bit backloaded on that. So you're getting 30 million of savings. You could sign multiple, almost pro bowl caliber um, players to that. You're going to get draft picks and you haven't had draft picks because you traded away a draft pick for Watson. You traded away a draft pick to get rid of Osweiler. You traded away multiple draft picks for Laramie Tunsil. You traded away a draft pick for Brandon Cooks. A lot of draft picks. Brandon Cooks. We can keep going. (laughs) Gary yeah, a lot Connelly, of draft- who played eight games for this team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's been, that's part of the problem, right? Is there's no pipeline of young talent because they haven't had the draft pick. So this gives you a chance to reestablish that pipeline, free up cap space, maybe sign some free agents, bring in a rookie, and if all things go right, your ceiling is certainly higher. If that quarterback can match Watson, which is very, very low probability, but we're talking about ceilings here. So your ceiling is certainly higher underneath this scenario. And, you know, it, it gives someone like Casario coming in, it gives him something to do, basically, other than just sit back and hope he can nickel and dime and find some players um, and really put his imprint on this team. Do you think that case is compelling at all? I mean, I, I like... From just a you and I perspective, looking at this in the vacuum, I think it's wildly entertaining. And like, I think that the idea I've talked about with some people, like the only way you could sell this to me, like, is if you flipped on its head and it's like, let's go from being what's like the butt of every joke to like the most forward thinking organization. And like, we're going to get four first round picks. And every two years, we're going to draft a quarterback in the first round. We're going to keep flipping the asset and just, you know, and then we're going to become that first team that does the only rookie quarterback contract thing or whatever. But obviously, I mean, I have no faith that, that that's what this team would do. Like, there's no evidence that this team would think to be the ones to do that. Um, obviously, I don't know Nick Casario very well yet, but I mean, I just, I would have my doubts that that would be um, the thing. But yeah, I mean, I guess like if, if you are really, if your hand is forced and you have to do it, and I think that's the only reason they would do it. I don't think they would look at it as like, he's a great value. We should just trade him. But if their hand is forced, yeah, like, the Jets are the one to me that is um, is the most compelling. But of course, he has to want to go to the Jets. And, and the other thing I've thought about with this is the Jets do have some, obviously they have, what is it, two first-round picks this year, two first-round picks next year. Yeah. And I still think they have. So, I mean, they would still have some assets to build around him. But like part of what's interesting to me here is like his issues are bigger than just the, the roster not being good around him. But if he's going to pick the team wants to go to and that team then has to bankrupt itself to get him and then there's no ability to build around him, like – is the problem somewhat like cyclical? Like, is he going to go to another place and then it's going to be this, you know, it's the same issues. Like the team is still not good because they did everything to go all in it for him. But on the other hand, I don't know, like if you're a team and you have the ability to get him, I think you get him because he is one of the best players at quarterback. Yeah. It's interesting because I've seen some, from some hypothetical jets trades in particular. Um, I mean, the, the dolphins also to an extent, I think, 
the there might be a little bit of bad PR because some of these trades, while they, like it, it may li- it may align from a value perspective, like the Jets aren't going to give away. I've seen some I've seen a hypothetical trade that said they'll give away well both of their first rounds this year, both of their first rounds next year. It's like they're not going to trade away every first round <laughs> pick right. to do this, even if it is for Deshaun Watson, because like it's the Jets, right? You're you're coming off of maybe being the worst team in the NFL. How are you going to build around this? And you're taking on that contract and and everything else to it. So I I do think there could be a little bit of a pushback there, but. But you're right. If he forces his way out, that helps from a PR perspective, right? He, you're saying he forced our way out. Um, maybe also if, you know, Jack Easterby, we'll see what happens with him. Maybe if he made some sort of exit, I think that would help from a uh, PR perspective also. Uh, how much do you put into this this Easterby talk? Because I want to I go over to him for a second just because we've had multiple articles now from Sports Illustrated who have come out after him. It's really pile-on season, on a Jack Easterby now. And no matter how much my contrarian instinct, uh, which gets me in trouble sometimes, will say, no matter how bad he is, can he possibly be this bad? Because there's no incentive to make him look better, I don't think, at this point, from a, if, if you're reporting on him, um, then, then, then to, to highlight people who are coming out of the woodwork now to, to say negative things about him. Yeah, I mean, look, you can, you can link, like, a lot of the downfall of what's happened here to his arrival. But I also think like if, if Bill O'Brien didn't want to trade DeAndre Hopkins, he wouldn't have traded DeAndre Hopkins. You know what right. I mean? Like if Bill O'Brien didn't want to go all in on Larry Tunsil, he would have not gone all in on Larry Tunsil. Like I, I the contracts were um, the contracts that they handed out that was, you know, led by um, Jack Easterby. And so he does deserve criticism for some of the really bad deals, whether it's, you know, Whitney Merciless or Randall Cobb or whatever. But again, I, you know, I think it is, it's a little hard to know here. Like did Bill O'Brien want to keep Whitney Merciless and he was told to figure it out, you know, did Bill O'Brien want to be the one to get Randall Cobb? You know, so I think the blame certainly falls on both of them. I, you know, I don't think he is going anywhere. I mean, who knows? It's only January. The situation could escalate, but like, to this point, Cal McNair has publicly backed him twice, like in the past two weeks, you know, and, and I, they're going to have to figure out a way to, uh, to coexist if, if Watson does stick around. Uh, I, that's kind of, to me, seems like not really worth the squeeze. Like, I don't know how much I would always pick the quarterback over the, uh, um, you know, the, the executive, but if the, if you want, if Cal McNair wants to keep him around, they're going to have to find a way to, to stick it out. I do think if they're honest about um, that, Casario is going to get a final say over personnel and kind of like, Easterby is going to control a lot of the other, you know, sort of like managing the building type stuff. Then I don't, I don't know if his presence is as big a deal. I mean, he's certainly still a divisive figure, but I think it maybe is, is workable, less, less than ideal, but, but workable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the problems ultimately it ties back to a bigger thing uh, with, with Watson too. It's, it's all kind of ties back to Cal McNair, right? I mean, he is the one who chose to empower Bill O'Brien to do uh, what he did. You know, he's the one who, uh, ultimately allowed Easterby to kind of convince him to, uh, to, you know, to hire Casero. He could have hired someone else if he wanted to. He could have, he could have, he was the one who chose to say to Deshaun Watson, we're going to keep you in the loop. And then there was some sort of miscommunication along the way. So I think even if you get rid of Jack Easterby, like it makes fans happy. It maybe makes players happy. It maybe solves some problems, but like it doesn't solve the ultimate problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see how his inexperience and maybe, uh, played into working with a with a strong willed head coach who says, like you said, who says, you know, get me Randall Cobb, and then they goes okay, and then they go out and sign Randall Cobb to an awful deal, but you're fulfilling the wishes of uh, right. the, the 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 true power center there. Um, yeah, so I can see that, and I I think it's it's always interesting when you when you have these circumstances with I think I saw I was talking about this a little bit when it came to Philadelphia and what happened with Doug Peterson and the relationship with Roseman there and Lurie the owner. I think we we tend to look at these organizations. And the fact that a lot of these owners have these vast business empires, they are, you know, lauded often in outside of outside of the organization as being great businessmen, this and that. And then when it comes down to how they actually run these teams, it's just a lot of personal relationships, a lot of gut feelings, a lot of back scratching and political things that are going on here. And it just is not the the calcu- cold calculated um, you know, hierarchical process as it is of he re- he really is he seems to have a personal attachment to Jack Easterby at this point, and you know, firing him it may just s- seem like you know stabbing someone in the back who you really have an affection for, essentially. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I like I don't uh, I don't want to like speculate too much. On I just, just <laughs> be, well, I, I was gonna say I don't want I don't want to poo poo on him for just for not necessarily being as into like stats as you and I are, but I think there was a moment right. that was really telling in the Nick Casario press conference where he 
he said um, like that they were two and eight in one score games this year. And that was an example of bad processes that could be fixed with a better head coach and general manager. Like basically you just need better guys in here to hammer down execution. And like, I, I'm, I think obviously execution matters, but like, we obviously also know that like luck matters a lot too in football, right? I mean, there's 16 games and like, you know, it's, we're talking about small sample sizes and things just break one way or the other. Like, and I think if you look at in 2019, the Texans were four and five in games in which they trailed a halftime and five and one in games decided by three points or less. So they won 10 games, but they were probably not a 10 win team. Right. And by the same token, maybe this team, like to his point was not necessarily a four and 12 team, but more like a six or seven, one team. But if you're, if you're just think that that can be fixed by processes, like, that to me is just an indication that comment that you're not really like looking at the whole full view of things and you are being kind of uh, easily convinced by, you know, one person's perspective on something, or you're just not, you're not taking everything into account when you're making your decisions. And I think that is more than anything, just kind of evidence um, in how McNair has let this thing unravel the way it has. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's probably obviously he has a organization full of people who have a record of failure, right? For this for this right. year, so yeah, you better believe he's hearing every every possible excuse for why things <laughs> right. exactly. why things. So he so he's heard all of these. I mean, and I'll also say that them, right. Yeah, he I is mean, buying the them, but that's I mean, the problem. Yeah. To, to be fair, I would say, um, like coach of the year. Let's say it's going to be Kevin Stefanski this year, and I think Kevin Stefanski is great. Don't get me wrong, but you know, people win coach of the year for for winning more one score games than anyone else. It's kind of what happens a lot of the, a lot of the time right, here because because right. they're more lucky than anyone else. So there's kind of like a long history of. Uh, people over people overestimating the the role of the coach in what is ultimately luck because you can't really ascribe it to something else. You say we have talent, right? We have Deshaun Watson. Right. We have this top five quarterback. We have all these assets. We have JJ Watt. We 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 spent all this money on the offensive line and then on this and and we stink. So therefore, what's what else is left? What can I not really measure? Very well, and that's the coaches, and that's the. And so right. I'm going to say that it that, so it, that it was their that, it was their right. fault. Yeah, so that yeah, yeah, I I can see how that happens. Um, so for 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 Watson in particular, okay. So I, I'm just thinking about y- y- we mentioned we talked about the enemy thing. So they can't hire him anyway until I guess after the Super Bowl, right? Because they because 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 they can't. They have to. Well, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm already putting the Chiefs to Super Bowl. Sorry. So <laughs> until after they're they're eliminated, whatever whenever that may be. So that's kind of on hold. So are, are we just stuck in a holding pattern here? I, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking your life is going to be like Groundhog Day now for the uh, until until whatever <laughs> the Chiefs get get out because they can't like hire someone else before bringing Bienemy back in. So they're stuck here, talk, and then we're just going to yeah. be stuck until what's happening. So are you? for the bills to win i should say so then we could actually get some resolution maybe on this yeah i'd love i'd love some sort of resolution though on the other hand i am fascinated by like how much more a seemingly already broken and unsalvageable situation can deteriorate like if they have to wait three more weeks what other sort of leaks can come out in terms of updates about deshaun watson's unhappiness that make it sound like he is even more unhappy than the week before when he was you know totally over it uh but but i think you're right i mean i i don't know like if they if they were to hire leslie frazier or um, you know, or I'm at Eberflus or whatever before then, I think that optically it does give the sense that you kind of just, you didn't care that much or like the, the be enemy, you know, interview was just uh, an empty, empty gesture or whatever. So you're probably right in that regard, but, and I, I think it's very interesting if, if they do hire the enemy, if that, whether that does solve Watson's issues or not, because I think there is, um, you know, there's a chance that it doesn't, but based on kind of just like, this isn't just about the process of the head coach. It's about, you know, his feelings towards, um, Easterby, he's feelings towards the way that McNair just kind of treated him in general. And so uh, if he still is upset, I think it'll be interesting, like how right now, I would say the public, the public support is totally on his side, right? Like I mentioned, people were going to march on MLK Day to the stadium. And so, uh, but does, does that shift if you hire the coach, you ultimately hire the enemy, you hire the coach that he reportedly wants, right? And then he still says, I don't want to play for this team. Uh, at that point, I think the the perception maybe shifts and I wonder how that kind of plays into this um this stand this standoff between the two parties if it if it does get to that point. Yeah, yeah. Now and oh, another factor here is the is the no trade clause that he has in his contract supposedly. Um I don't know if that's confirmed or not, but I I, I think he has the no trade clause, right? He does, yeah. Okay, <laughs> does. so 
Yeah, so because I know that initially there was talk about the Dolphins and maybe that was something that was attracted to him playing for Brian Flores. I always thought that the Jets would have the inside track if they wanted to because of that number two pick and really being able to decide who it was. Um, you know, social media. I just saw the other day that he he liked some Instagram post yeah, like about a New York the Jets. Post headline or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then, um, this has got to be great for his social media numbers, though. I have to say, he's probably like attracted. <laughs> Not that he didn't have enough followers already. Um, okay, so 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 there's that with the Jets maybe going in there. Do you think? I mean, how much do you think location matters? Because all these different trade scenarios we're hearing out here. Is it possible that the Texans would have to take a lesser deal to satisfy where he want to go, or are we thinking, I just want to get, I just want to get out of here, basically, and wherever I'm going to go, assuming that they have the assets to get to get him, is probably going to be a decent place to land. Uh, I mean, I, I I don't see it. I mean, I, you know, we're looking so far in the future here, but I I, yeah. I can't imagine a situation in which you would say it's it's one team or nothing, right? Because if you're reaching the point where you want to leverage yourself out, then you probably are open to more than just a single destiny. Like if he's like I, you know, I want to be down playing for the Texans. I can't imagine him saying like, but if I can't go to the Dolphins, then I'll stay in Houston. You know, like I don't yeah, I don't yeah. see it reaching that point. So <laughs> I imagine it has to at least have a, a list, kind of right. If we're, I mean, if this is if this is following the sort of NBA superstar uh, track here, like James Harden was originally just the Nets, and then it so slowly became every team that had even like. 20 to one odds of winning an NBA championship. Um, so yeah, I, I think, there, I think there would be other teams. I think the Jets, like you mentioned, would be um, a really good package. I also think uh, I've thought the 49ers would be a really fun team for him uh, just because I would love to see him in an offense. I mean, Tim Kelly, I think was better at the back end of the year, but I'd love to see him in an offense that kind of like makes things easier, uh, you know, just on him. Cause we haven't seen that a lot in his career. My, uh, my colleague, Ted, Wynn, he, he pointed this out, I think it was you guys' numbers of PFF that, uh, Aaron Rodgers second in passer rating completion percentage on boot plays only Deshaun Watson was um, you know was ahead of him and obviously I think Kyle Shanahan would do would do wonders with him and, and he also the Texans just I think they're 29th in play action attempts this year so like if he just if he was in an offense that made life easier for him like how good could he be he's a top five quarterback without it right now yeah I think that's an interesting one I guess from from my perspective I think it would be hard to sell um, to the fan base, like a Jimmy Garoppolo coming in or, or whoever it may be. Like, I feel, I feel like it's a lot easier to sell the number two pick and the potential there. And Definitely. even if you're not good, right? So even if you're, you're not good in, 20, in 2021, that's okay, right? You, you're, you're fine. Uh, if you're not good in 2021 and you brought in Jimmy Garoppolo, eh, you know, things, things are going to be <laughs> right. a, a, little bit, a little bit ugly. So, yeah, I, I think I agree with you there. Although I think with the offensive system thing, maybe there are more options there. You know, um, when Robert Sala came in to the Jets, you know, he brought um, – Right, brought in the guys brought, from San Francisco, yeah. One, one of the LaFleurs, one of the – Yeah, Mike LaFleur, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mike, I knew, it was, I knew it was one of the – Who was the one in dodgeball? Pete LaFleur? <laughs> Adam, there's too there way there are too many Lafleur. So yeah. so he brought over someone, and so presumably they'll be running a similar system there. So I think yeah, yeah. so I think so I think that is interesting. But let's let's talk about the rest of the team too, because this is going to be more. If Watson ends up staying there, there's a lot of work to be to be done here. Um, do you have any sense on the rebuild model? Is there is this going to presuming that they keep Watson, let's say in this scenario, because if they if they don't keep Watson, then all bets are off. You could probably do a pretty healthy rebuild. Uh, how much of this roster do you think needs to be turned over to have something realistic here? Is is someone like J.J. Watt, you know, is, is he a, is he a definite trade piece either way? Things like that. Well, you know, I, th- I think uh, Watt, it will depend on what he wants. Ultimately, uh, I think they would, you know, I think he is at least, I mean, who, who knows what the way this organization has gone in terms of communicating with its players and output. <laughs> but I think that he, uh, he, you know, he's someone they didn't want to move at the, at the trade deadline. They were kind of like saying it wouldn't be something they would even discuss unless they got a first round pick, which was never really realistic. So basically they weren't, they weren't going to move at the deadline. So it, it at least wanted to be something they thought more about and maybe could, uh, you know, give him the proper respect and all those sorts of things. So I think if he wants to move, uh, they'll move him. And, you know, he said he doesn't want to be part of, uh, of a rebuild. And he only has a few years left, you know, so I think all signs would point to him kind of end, end ultimately getting out of here, especially if obviously they, they trade Sean Watson, if not, maybe a little bit less so, but uh, I, I would think so because, you know, this team maybe 
is not as bad as its record last year. You know, they, they did lose some close games and whatever, but uh, I don't think they're probably, even if they're a playoff team next year, they're certainly not like a Super Bowl contender. I think the defense is so thin that it's going to take at least two years to really kind of get it back on track. And by that point, JJ Watts, 33, like, is he still productive enough to, you know, probably be contributing? And, you know, is that team really even then going to be a Super Bowl contender? Like that's like best case scenario for this team. And I would say very little has gone best case scenario in recent times. So he probably is a trade piece, um, but he's kind of the only one. I mean, I guess the other one is like, Brandon Cooks, uh, if you wanted to, because he has, uh, you know, no guaranteed money left on the final three years of his deal. He obviously is very used to being uh, to being traded at this point. But, you know, he's been productive with uh, he's been productive with Watson. And, and if Easterby is, is around, I would doubt that just because uh, Easterby was one of because he thought he'd be, uh, you know, kind of a good uh, locker room presence and stuff. So uh, I, I, would, I don't think Cooks is going to move. So Watt, Watt strikes me as kind of really the only big trade asset they have. Yeah, yeah, the Cooks. Cooks Aside from Deshaun Watson, of course. Right. Aside from Deshaun, yeah, the Cooks deal. I guess he's gone from, I guess it was from New Orleans to New England, New England. to the Rams. Rams to Houston. To Houston. Um, I think it was three first round picks in there, right? And then just a second. This last and then second, second for Houston. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, and you know, it's interesting because like Nick Casario tra- was part of the organization that traded a first round pick for him and then also yeah. traded him after a season. So it's like, I don't know how high of a, what exactly Nick Casario thinks of, of Brandon Cooks. It, it was funny at the, uh, his last Zoom session of the year, Cooks, like someone asked him, you know, would you be open to, uh, uh, or have you thought about the idea you could be, you know, traded again because of your contract situation? And he was just like, oh, I, I won't accept another trade. Like, if you don't, if you don't want me on a team, you got to release me. And then someone was like, how would you, you know, like, how could you block that? And he was like, I don't, I don't want to get into it. Cause he, I mean, he can, <laughs> like, it's right. just, so I don't know, I, but I would, but I think he's, he logically to me seems more like a guy they would, they would restructure the deal, lower the cap hit a bit. Um, and then the question is, can you also find a way to, to fit Will Fuller? And if you want to keep Deshaun Watson happy, I think you try to find a way to bring both guys back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see trades for cooks and for what the problem is, um, I mean, what are you going to get? What are you going to get for even if, even for JJ? Even for JJ Watt, you're probably going to get what like a third round pick or something. I, I don't know if you're going to get anything that that significant. Um, I mean, it, it, despite the fact that he may have high end play for a couple of years, Cooks may be something something similar. So yeah, it, it would really just be like a, a a cap dump type of type of situation. Um, Trading Watt alone would get them basically get them back under the cap. Right. That's okay. The, yeah. So that, that's like because he's seventeen and a half million, I think. Yeah, yeah, I see him. He's seventeen and a half. It looks like Cooks is twelve. Uh, who else do we have on here? Uh, Duke Johnson looks like there's no dead camp there. He's, five, he's a little bit over five, so we'll see if he see if he survives. There are probably some other ones on here that, that David end up. Johnson. You probably cut, and he that clears like six million. Um, Bernardrick McKinney is the other one. I think you probably cut. I think he would clear like eight million alone too. And they just paid Zach Cunningham, uh, and you know their run defense is pretty terrible when both the guys were playing when one of them was playing. So I think he's probably another guy to go. Well, what did you think of Casario and his, his opening press conference? Cause again, I'm not watching these things from end to end. So every clip that I've seen related to the Texans has been a question about Jack Easterby and reading into the body language and the answer or the deflection of whoever's being asked on here, but you're getting a, a more of a macro view here. So how did you think that he sounded in here or is it difficult for him to say anything until he's actually had a chance to assess things? Yeah, I think, I think it's a little difficult. Like he wasn't really uh he didn't give much of an answer in terms of like, what type of coach you would value other than like someone who could kind of unify things a bit, which I would agree. They probably need somebody who can unify things. Um, and, uh, and he didn't say much in terms of like how much of a long-term or short-term uh, rebuild he thinks this is. He kind of was like, you know, I need to spend these next couple months really uh, assessing everything and where, where it stands. But, you know, I mean, like, as long as if he really is in charge of personnel and, and he, I think there's no reason to doubt the reputation he built in new England. Like I think that alone will be just kind of a stabilizing force uh, for this team to have someone who has experience doing this and is like, that is their focus every day, not also coaching the team or anything like that. Um, so at the end of the day, I think it's a, it's kind of a net positive. What What's so weird about it is like, if you had told Texans fans even a year ago, maybe that Nick Casero is the GM, they probably would have been happy about it, but it was just like the, the process of getting here uh, that every team normally is optimistic when they get a new GM and, but, 
but the Texans are not right. Like they can't even kind of manage to, to handle that. Yeah. I mean, it was on the heels of O'Brien's firing last time. Right. And yeah, I would, I would say it would have, it was seen as a positive. There was a, there was a little bit of a, like a, a bidding war in a way, not a bidding war, but whatever. There was a conflict as to whether or not they could get Casario before. So I think that was interesting. I mean, he's, he's been with new England his entire career uh, from, from what I'm looking at here as far as his his coaching career, I mean, he's a graduate assistant a couple places before that, but I'm not as coaching and then GM in career. the NFL. Twenty years in the NFL, all of the twenty years in the NFL, all there. The, the alignment is the rage. Is the rage in the NFL? Um, I is, is has has Josh McDaniel has Josh McDaniel been mentioned in this in this coaching no, no, I know he's been no. talked about. So okay, I know he's been talked about with the Eagles, and he's another guy which yeah. is kind of weird because when he was in contention for the Browns job last year. Um, I think Browns fans, many of them were upset that he was not chosen and Stefanski was chosen. He's another guy that seems to be very low down on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the ladder now for, for people who are looking at coaches. So I guess that would go for alignment. Is there an obscure Patriots coach out there, like a Joe Judge type, that can just come out of nowhere and, and go over? Um, they haven't interviewed anyone there, right? No, no. They, I mean, it seems like they know they can't uh, they can't lean further into the uh, sort of Patriots <laughs> reboot here. So they have not. They have not. I thought maybe uh, they would put an interview for like Gerard Mayo. Haven't done that. Um, oh, yeah, Brian Mayo's Dable is another one because yeah. yeah. Dable was overlapped with them in New England and he reported supposedly kind of helped bring Easter B to New England, actually. Um, but he was not ever uh, requested, and it sounds like, or I've seen other people report that he's probably going to stay in Buffalo this year. So no, it seems like they they at least have the awareness that kind of the uh, you can't lean further into the New England thing now than having Easterby and Casario. So they probably will find um, someone outside of that tree for for the coaching search. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dable could be interesting. Uh, I don't buy the. Um, I'm good. I don't want a head coaching job for a 45 year old who's been around for as long as he has. Like, right. I mean, 45 is not that old, but in, in today's NFL, it is, it is a little bit older. I feel like he would probably, it's kind of like I didn't get the job, so I'll take my, my name out. So I think he could be an interesting name. So who else is in the running here? Um, you wrote an article along with, it was a Bo Wolf where you guys were looking at the two open yeah, back and coach, forth coach positions. And Texans, um, kind of, yeah. Were you were you guys? What was the approach? Were you guys trying to hype up your teams, or were you trying to both uh, say, "No, no, no, your job is way is way better than, than, than this team here"? I, I think we both are mired in uh, in like constant uh, negativity, so we probably came <laughs> at it from the latter perspective of like, "There's no way that one is worse than the other, or the, anything is better than this." Um, yeah, no, I, it was it was kind of. I, I mean, I feel like if if Watson is on the team then uh, the Texans are obviously the better of the two jobs. But the fact that that is a question speaks to like a broader dysfunction that would maybe scare me away from, from taking the Texans job. Yeah. And it, it kind of seems like, how do you even accept that job? Other than the fact, like I'm saying, it's one of 32 jobs. So you're just going to take it um, without that being resolved. Right. I mean, is Deshaun Watson going to, I don't know, pledge that he won't request a trade or whatever um knowing right you can't really know right I mean he could be he could be unhappy again in two months after you sign the contract right like there's no way of really guaranteeing that he is on the team but I assume whoever is going to take the job is going to not do so unless they have a pretty clear understanding of at least where he stands at that moment yeah I mean I would be perfectly fine just saying to Deshaun Watson, yes, no, what, what, are you in or not? Like I would, I would, I would happily hand it over to him. But I, I'm sure that some teams would think that would set some sort of, you know, dangerous precedent or whatever would be said, you know, about about players choosing the coaches and then what does it say to the rest of the team and this and yada yada. I mean, I, I think I would be fine. I would be fine with that. But so, who, so who are the other candidates that that we have here? You mentioned Leslie Frazier. Has he been? Has he been interviewed there? Uh, yes, yeah. Frazier has been interviewed. Um, the enemy has been interviewed. Uh, a, a Ravens uh, assistant head coach and the uh, wide receivers coach. Uh, oh shoot, I'm blanking on his uh, his first name. David Cully, uh, and then Matty Berflus, uh, Indianapolis uh, defensive coordinator. Uh, they also interviewed Joe Brady, but that was before they hired uh, Casario. Casario has since kind of being the guy to uh, to take over the search. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. I think Brady. Might oh, be and, they, and they interviewed Brandon Staley, obviously, but he's you know right. with the Chargers now. Yeah, yeah. So Staley, yeah, Staley's uh, with the Chargers now. Um, Brady. I mean, I, I've been a little bit on the on the side of him being maybe a little bit too green right now. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, I think Eberflus and Frazier are both good names. Uh, the defensive thing. I'm not sure how that how that plays into it. Nobody seems to want that right now. 
Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be. Well, they they also see. interviewed David Caldwell and Marvin Lewis, but that was again before um, before Casario. Right. So those guys are, I guess Frazier. I know that I'm trying to think of his time with with the Vikings as head coach. I don't think he was a winning coach overall there. Um, having having taken over on it, I believe it was on an interim basis first, and then taking over there. But obviously Lewis and uh, Caldwell have had very good track records, and I think those I think those are guys that may be a little bit undervalued, especially in this day and age where people like me are killing people for not making these little decisions. Uh, these old school coaches making making little tiny decisions about fourth downs and other things like that. That those guys may be seen as not being good, but I remember there was a study by. Um, uh, by Andrew Healy, who now works for the Browns, where he looked at coaching hires. And that was the one thing. There's, there's, there's basically no signal in anything. It's very difficult to figure out who to hire. Um, a good offensive coordinator, a good defense, defensive coordinator. The only thing that had some signal was previous success as a head coach. Um, those guys are typically better in their second time around, probably capturing like these kind of CEO leadership type of things. Uh, but did you think, but you think those interviews were probably not uh, at the top of the list? Yeah, I, th- I think just because they were before Casario, I, I don't put necessarily a, a ton of stock in them. Though I, though I agree with you. Like you think about like uh, Marvin Lewis, for example, right? People always talk about how the Bengals are kind of unorthodox in their setup. And he, you know, he won in spite of it. And in some ways, I feel like that is a very attractive quality when you think about the Texans. Like this is like a, a team that is, um, you know, has very its degrees of dysfunction that are kind of like unprecedented around the league right now. And if you can bring someone like that, who can kind of like steady the boat and keep things moving forward, like that is uh, a a value, but yeah, I don't think that that's necessarily going to sell really well. I mean, like his, what he's like, Oh, and seven in the postseason, which, you know, I don't know how much we should put stock in that. It's like the small sample size, but I think that it would be hard to sell that when kind of one of the big criticisms of Bill O'Brien was all he could do was win the AFC South, you know, and nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I do think that's another thing that's interesting with the Texans is we see it as this mess, this 4-12 and 12 mess, yet if you take a step back a little bit, um, like you said, overperformed a bit, but 10 wins, 11 wins, going back, I guess four wins, but that was when Deshaun Watson got injured as a rookie, right. and then 9-7, 9-7, 9-7, and, seven, nine nine and, seven, nine and yeah. seven. so, you know, n- not a lot of losing uh, uh, seasons, but yet this is kind of seen outside of Watson as being a team kind of really bereft of of talent there. Uh, okay, let, let's talk to, about some of the other things going on in the NFL outside of the Texans. There are, there is, there is, there are teams still playing here. I, I wouldn't know more, it. Yeah, yeah. It's almost more, it's almost more exciting what's going on. Uh, like, I feel like for, 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 let's face it, for most of the league, the off season is like the most positive part or in like week one or week two. And then it's like, okay, this is over. Let's let's go back to, right. to the next, to the next off season. But for, for the teams who are recently eliminated uh, or, or still in it, uh, I wanted to see your opinion on this McVeigh golf thing, only because not not that you're a you're a golf expert or I'm a golf expert, but I think it's interesting because there's been this movement the last few years where guys like golf, guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, um, I'm trying to think of who else would would have played this. Year. I mean, Baker Mayfield would have fit into this if he didn't have a strong end to his season. Where there's a certain subset of people that say. These guys are quote unquote system quarterbacks, whatever that means. Um, they're it's just it's highlighting the replaceability versus paying them thirty something million dollars a year. So now the knives are really out for Goff here as someone whose performance, uh, on, even on an objective basis, has gone down year over year over year, going from his his sophomore breakout season, and that they say there's there's this disconnect with Goff and McVeigh. Do you what do you think about these middling franchise quarterbacks? Uh, versus, you know, a team deciding, hey, maybe I am just going to take the plunge here and bring in a John Wolford type and just see what we can do with that extra cap space. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, um, I think like the issue is not that Jared Goff is is average, right? It's that he's paid to not be average, right? If, if you're paying right. him more like in line of 20 million or whatever, or like Philip Rivers is like 25 million this year. Like yeah. to me, that's that's a good deal. The problem is when you're, you're paying him, um quite a bit more i think it's 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 probably more of a worthwhile argument than ever before just because passing in the nfl is is easier now than ever before right um and so i think there's definitely something to be said for it especially if you have a coach you really can believe can get them the most out of a quarterback which i think you could say uh sean mcveigh can but 
I think it ultimately, like, if that is your decision and that's the way you're going to go, I think it's a totally defensible decision, but it is going to depend on like how you use uh, the resources that you're saving on the quarterback, right? Like I would think I would probably want to spend a good amount of that money on the offensive line uh, and probably on like the secondary uh, and maybe like, you know, and, and like one kind of dominant player on, on you know, on, on the defensive line. But yeah, I mean, so I think, I think it makes sense. Um, I, I think that uh, golf specifically, it's like, he kind of is, is just so limited. Like he can't even um, he's not very mobile uh, and his, year over year consistently I know we say pressure is not how the core pressure is not really sticky but it seems like for him like consistently is just not doing well so I, I would understand uh wanting to move on from him I just would be very curious as to like how they would then use the rest of those resources yeah I mean I'm looking at their cap for next year so Goff has a third almost a 35 million dollar cap hit next year so yeah no, no, not cheap uh donald see now the problem is you got you got these years kicking in for donald now where his like his real big years are kicking in so he's 28 next year ramsey is going to be 22 5 despite the fact that he's really just starting to get into his deal cooper cup 14 5 not too bad robert woods another 14 as he just recently extended so they just have a really top heavy team um and i think we saw in the playoffs where if you have a couple of those players who are who you know donald being being limited um and and obviously Goff having the thumb issue, it's just really difficult to to compete with a team like that. And again, they're another team who also traded away a ton of picks in order to get um, in order to get Ramsey and in order to get Goff originally years ago. So they don't necessarily have that that much of a pipeline. Uh, I guess my thing with this is I'm, I probably differ from a lot of people on this what an average franchise quarterback type is worth because I think it's easy from us from the outside to say if you want to get that Super Bowl. It's really, really hard to do it with this guy, paying this quarterback, top quarterback money. Um, the problem is if you go away from them and then the quarterback position busts, I mean, we've seen situations like, let's say, when Deshaun Watson tore his ACL in, in 2017, where now you got a 4-12 team, potentially. Um, for us on the outside, we make that suggestion – the four and twelve starts to happen. We say, you know, we don't even think about it. We're gone. We're, out of there. we're like, we're on to we're on to our take on the next team, right? We're on to our take on the next team. These guys have to live in that, right? They have to live in not having a quarterback, maybe not being in a position to draft a quarterback the next year, uh, still having a bad cap situation, all of those different things. And I feel like those considerations are more difficult for for someone who's from the outside to really think about than it is when you're a decision maker in that building. Yeah, definitely. I think there's there's certainly like a, a a human kind of cost to these things that we don't always uh, consider. And if they don't, if they're if I think it would send a weird message to the locker room of you, a, a team is just like, yeah, this is our twenty million dollar a year quarterback. We're just kind of punting on it, uh, but we're just hoping everybody else can figure it out. You know, like I, I but but the I was reading a, a story recently. Um, I think it was in CBS Sports that was like about kind of the Rams strategy and because you mentioned it being so top heavy and it was really interesting to me because like um obviously they did a better job of this than the texans without a doubt in terms of building the team but like it was funny to hear a lot of these overlaps in terms of like talking about how the you know well if if we're going to be picking in the 20s anyway then the first round pick is not really worth as much as it sounds like it's worth and if we took the average of the guys we're getting the 20s if we took two of them we couldn't trade that person for Jalen Ramsey but we could trade the picks for Jalen Ramsey and and like I you I heard a lot of the same things when the Texas trade for for Laramie Tunsil and and so I think there is something to be said for the idea that we overvalue the picks and that you can you can build a team this way but I think like it goes back to golf is like, it's just kind of about, did you use the, those picks on the right players? Right. Like in the Rams case, like golf is one of their five or whatever highest paid players. And he just is not good enough for that model to work. I mean, it, it worked pretty well this year, but not to the end goal, right. Of getting to the Super Bowl. And like similar with the Texans, like Larry Tunsil is, you know, a top five left tackle, at least in terms of pass blocking by like PFF metrics and, and grading and stuff. And like, at the end of the day, like Deshaun Watson, he, his sacks went down slightly, but I think we would all argue that was mostly because of he did a better job of protecting himself against negative plays, right? And like it didn't really ultimately impact winning, obviously. Like they went four and twelve. So I I think um, there's something to be said for the idea that we overvalue picks and we can you know you can build the team this way. I just don't think um, I think it's it's a lot harder to do just because you have you're basically 
it's about the probability of one guy being really good or, or, you know, five guys being really good. And you're just, you're lessening your chances of that happening when you're relying on five guys versus like 20 good guys. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the getting a, a breadth of talent has been something that the Patriots have done in particular uh, have done really well. If you, if you break down rosters by, you know, like top five cap hits, top 10, and then the middle area. Typically, they've been a team that pays a lot in the middle in the middle area. I mean, part, part of that is the fact that they, they never draft super high. So, and they never, uh, not never, but they don't normally extend like their, their really star rookie picks. Often they let them go out into, into free agency and then they bring in guys in the middle. So I, I think, I think that probably is like a sweet spot in free agency and I mean that's another part of the discussion, right? If you're not paying someone a ton of money, then you can you can you can get a couple of those players. And I think th- this whole thing of well, the player is better than the first round pick that you're going to get back in return. I think that was I think we've seen that over. There's probably a handful of teams, right? So the Bears with Khalil Mack that was a really weird trade where it was about 98.5% of the people thought that the bears totally completely destroyed the Raiders on that. And now it's like, who knows who knows what people think about that. Uh, The Eagles have done some of that, although not as, not as much, but they've been willing to trade away some, some picks. And then you mentioned now the, um, the Rams and then, and then the Texans being in that same thing, uh, trying to maximize that, that quarterback, that quarterback window. So I think that they pressed in as far as they can go with the Rams right now. Um, the Ramsey was I, I didn't think they'd even press in that far. And they they went. They went for it. Even even with, with Jalen Ramsey, I thought that was they were already done doing that. So it'll be interesting to see how they can they can dig out of this. Cause again, they don't have the draft picks, they don't have the the capital to get out. And if they trade Ger- Jared Goff, I mean, what do you think Jared Goff Jared Goff can even get on the market right now with a, a contract that's gonna cost you, let's say, thirty million a year? Yeah, well so I I, I so I was looking at this up and I think so the his dead cap hit for the Rams would be six point eight million if you traded him after June first. And so what is his his total cap hit is like thirty five or something next year. Yeah. So yeah. I guess the team that would get him would it'd be like thirty million. Um, that'd be the, would be on their books. I mean that would not be great, but it wouldn't be like uh, wouldn't be brutal, too too bad. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, would you give up a a second round pick for him? Like, just kind of have like kind of just baseline competence he's not amazing but he's he's solid and you kind of and the value is if you're if they're taking on a lot of the bonus money that they signed then you're not paying him uh an egregious amount i mean maybe maybe that but yeah i don't know it, it seems to me like they'll probably have to be stuck with him for at least another year yeah yeah i mean i, I see there's an out in a couple of years down the road so maybe that could be part of it but yeah second round pick probably seems about 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 right for that. Um, okay, let's let's hit some of these games in the in the conference championship real fast. Um, I think with both of these games, it is well more so. Let, let's start start with the AFC. So we have let, let, let's assume for the purpose of this discussion that Patrick Mahomes is going to be uh, is going to pass the concussion protocol, all of that stuff. There, uh, being an observer of the of the AFC and what's going on there. Do you what's your opinion on the Bills now going forward? Because I think the Bills were been and Josh Allen has been very strong this year. A lot of this is going to kind of depend on Josh Allen. In the playoffs, he hasn't been great in the playoffs. He's been he was pretty good against Indianapolis, but again, that that was a close game where they you know he had a fumble there at the end that wasn't that wasn't recovered that could have been. Uh, and then the Indianapolis still had the ball to potentially win the game or or tie the game with with a field goal. Um, and then against against Baltimore, you know, it was it was close there for a second before the before the pick six. And I think he had another play where where there was a there was a fumble that he gave up, and he didn't play like outstandingly well either. So I think most people are of the opinion that the Bills really can hang with with the Chiefs here, and that Allen, because the Bills played so well in the second half of the season going forward, w- w- where do you stand on this? Yeah, I think I think they can. I mean, I I think if Mahomes is playing, I still would like the I still like the Chiefs in the game. But I think uh, I think they can. You know, I mean, you look at uh, um, the the last time these teams played, right? The the Bills kind of totally sold out against Mahomes, so the Chiefs ran for like 200 yards. But I think Mamelano didn't play in that game, and their their run defense has been better in the second half. So I, I think if they if they want to stick to that plan again, maybe um, 
which I, I think is a solid plan. I mean, it's kind of what the Texans did when they played the Chiefs in week one, too. I think that that could, um, that could work out. And, you know, I, like I was looking this up before, I think in the first matchup, like uh, Diggs and Beasley were both, uh, Cole Beasley were both pretty neutralized in that game. And I just, I would guess that they're going to have some more solutions uh, at the next time they play and that that wouldn't happen again. So I, I like the Bills to at least uh, keep it close. But I, at the end of the day, I think if, uh, if Mahomes is playing, I would take the Chiefs. Yeah, it was weird because it was a close game despite the fact when you look at the Chiefs, um, they ran the ball well. I don't think Mahomes played poorly. I mean, but he still had to convert some third downs down the stretch to eventually seal the game. And there were also plays on the other end where there was like this misty rain something going on there Mm -hmm. where Josh Allen was almost hitting or or missing some throws that it looked like he could have been successful. So that's why I thought that strategy was really interesting. And I want to see what's going to happen in this game, whether they're going to implement that again, because in a way you're, you're, you're almost keeping it a little bit closer. Like you're giving yourself a chance against the chiefs. If they're, if they're really going to run the ball like that, cause you have to continue to convert these, these, these third downs. And sometimes that doesn't happen as opposed to opening it up and the chiefs just get a, a score very quickly. That that's the, that's the whole difference. I mean, I think a good example of why you don't want the chiefs to open it up is probably what we watched in the, um, I guess it was the divisional round last year against against yeah. the the Texans where yeah you know, uh, they ran out of fireworks at the stadium yeah. <laughs> when uh, when there was a, I guess it was twenty eight nothing right and 20, 24 nothing yeah twenty four nothing sorry don't mean to besmirch the Texans here so twenty four right, nothing right, right. and then I don't twenty eight they would have had it yeah, yeah 20, I don't think <laughs> I, I I think they scored six straight touchdowns or something like that and on the first few. I think they just threw the ball like every single play. They, they, there was no pretense of even thinking about, about running the ball. And that seems to be the most effective offense for them. So I'm wondering, are they going to try to goad them into doing that again? Because in a way, I thought the Browns tried to do that and the, the Chiefs didn't really take the bait in, in, in the first half. And they were still just continuing to, to, to move the ball down the field. Yeah, it's kind of like um... – I know people have written, like, even at The Athletic, we wrote about how the the idea of, like, you just got to run the ball, control the clock, keep Mahomes off the field, like, that, how that's kind of a, a fallacy. But it kind of is, like, uh, like goading the Chiefs into running is almost like a, a version of that strategy in right. itself, yeah. right? Because you're 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 asking them to kill the clock and, and lessen the number of possessions in the game and basically increase the randomness of the game and just hope that, like, your team can kind of capitalize on one or two mistakes. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I still think that is probably the best strategy um, to stop them. Like at the end of the day, I would, I would rather just kind of make them uh, be, be methodically. I think they can still do it, but it sounds like just like if I'm playing the probabilities, there's probably a better chance of winning that way. And what's weird is the, the bills on the other side, they, I mean, if you look at last week, right, there were conditions. There was a lot of, there was a lot of wind against, against the Ravens. In that game against the Chiefs, again, the conditions were not great. I feel like the Bills, more than anyone, I think there's only been one or two games this season. I'm trying to think of which, there, there was definitely one game where they, where they ran quite a bit at home, but I don't remember who it was against. It could have been like the Jets or somebody, so it doesn't even count. Um, but but the, the rest of the season, they've just been throwing it. I mean, it does not even matter what the conditions are. They, have no, they don't seem to have any faith or inclination of, of using their own running game. So I think that's an interesting thing too. If both teams did the same thing, and I don't know if the Chiefs really like to play that style of defense, honestly, to, to hang back, but if both teams did the same thing, I'm, I'm, in some ways I'm more confident that, that the Bills will just continue to throw the ball as opposed to the Chiefs. Yeah, I would agree with that. It seems like uh, the Bills just have no interest in it. And they've kind of, but, but I, I, my question is like, for in terms of a favorable matchup, I think the Chiefs are probably the worst of the two run defenses, right? Yeah. So like, would would it make sense for the bill because i think even but the question is like even though that's the case is it would it still be more efficient of style play for the bills to throw you know like if if given the choice um i i it seems like it i mean based on everything we know probably yes right so you probably would still want to continue to play the way they're playing but yeah they they seem more less dependent on even trying to run the ball it seems like the i mean the chiefs at least have put some resources towards it you know whether it's Le'Veon bell and, and clyde edwards, edwards hilaire yeah, I mean the the Bills have really done this thing where they they truly have substituted in these shorter passes and some quick passes for for running plays. I mean, I was looking at a lot of Allen's stats. I was doing this. I'm looking at a potential article to to show compare him to other quarterbacks in this third year leap. I mean, it's totally insane what he did. What he did as third year, like you don't really ever see this. I, I found Troy Aikman was someone who made a pretty big uh, third year leap, but again, it wasn't even to the level that we're seeing. 
of of Josh Allen now, and he was coming off of a baseline of like the worst team in the NFL for for a couple of years before before going into that. Um, but if you look at what he did, you know his his completion percentage went up a lot more than his yards per attempt. I mean, his yards per attempt also went up. So if you, if you take those thing, two things together and you say completion percentage went up a bu- went up a lot more than yards per attempt. You can you can figure out the difference there by saying that your yards per completion did not go up as nearly right. as much. So so that's that kind of explains what they've us. done offensively, right? Is that is that they're they're taking the shorter passes essentially um, and substituting those in for runs. Yeah, no, definitely. What is the? Uh, I'm sure you looked this up. What was the like uh, expected completion percentage for him in year two versus year three? Like, is it way higher now? Uh it is although i don't know i don't have that i don't have that in front of me i believe i believe that it is but there is a little bit of a difference in that he was hitting some of these passes that he hadn't been hitting before um so Mm -hmm. so that's that's part of it but yeah that's that's definitely some of it um i mean it'll just be it'll be a really interesting matchup because i've been shocked even myself how many times this year that i've been describing the bills offense and josh allen Kind of the same way you describe like Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense. Like you think they want to run the ball, uh, really great at making plays on third down, really great against the blitz, uh, really great against man coverage. All these things that you would say about um, the the Chiefs offense and how you have Kelsey and Tyreek Hill who can get open in all those circumstances. Now on the other side, you're saying you have uh, Stephon Diggs and John Brown and. Um, second team all pro Cole, Cole Beasley uh, that, that, that are, that are able to do the same exact thing. So I think that's, that, that's super intriguing. You have any inkling now you, you want to give me, you want to give me a pick here for who's going to win. Do you have any, you have something spicy? Can, can you go out for the bills? Can we, can we, can we get, get you on record? Bills mafia will love it. <laughs> I think I, if Mahomes plays, I'm going to go with the chiefs. Uh, but I think it'll be really close. I think it'll be like, uh, you know, 35 to 30 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's what hope so. Let's, What's your pick? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I mean, I haven't bought. I think there's there's a big thing about the one score game thing, and uh, the Chiefs winning all these one score games. But if you look at it, a bunch of those games they were up by multiple scores in the fourth quarter or in the third quarter, and then it ended up being one score at the end. And the Chiefs have been really bad at converting these like short third downs with running the ball and they've been giving up a ton of conversions on the other side of the ball. So I, I I think that will maybe even out a little bit more. You don't have to worry about giving up those conversions as much against the bills because they don't run the ball very well. And uh, I think some of it's just been some bad luck for them. So I think that's also kept them kept teams close because they haven't been able, they've had to punt a few times in circumstances where they should have just been able to hand off the ball a couple of times and pick up a first down. And they, they haven't been able to do it until the final drive where they stopped doing that. <laughs> they just let Patrick Mahomes pick up, pick up the, pick up the first down and, and, end things. Okay. So let's go over to the, the uh, senior bowl, the old timer bowl at the, on the other side of, of things, Rogers versus Brady. Um, this is another game where I don't know what to think on this one. I've been a little bit more down on Brady than I think a lot of people have, than our grading has. I mean, our grading had him as a top five guy pretty much the entire season, despite the fact that his numbers weren't there because of a lot of drops and a lot of big negative plays that he had that were not graded necessarily as harshly as it would be in something like a expected points added formula. Uh, what do you think about the gap between those guys right now? Because it's a three-point it's a three point spread right now. And using that for a reference, it's not that high, honestly, for a green Bay team, which looks kind of unstoppable right now. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess I feel like that, that number is probably a little uh, um, biased towards the, you know, the, the last game between these two teams, which mm-hmm. doesn't seem to me like a representative of, um, of, you know, where, where you know, kind of the, the quality of these two teams. Like I think, uh, what was it? Like I was looking this up, I think uh, Wood Rogers throws your five picks and like two of them came on back-to-back drives against Tampa. So I, I, I mean, just odds are he's probably not going to do that again. Right. And like Devonte Adams was in his first game back uh, from hamstring injury. Uh, and, and, you know, I think both those picks actually were targeting him. So again, like, I, I think he just, he's going to be more productive than he was in that game. So I, I think it'll probably be a close game. I just, I, I don't see Brady getting like his ass kicked in a, in a playoff game. Uh, and I think that the Bucks defense is really good, but I do think that the Packers are ultimately the better team and to whatever degree, weather does play a factor. I, I like them kind of like having a little bit of an advantage there. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been burnt on this many a times, but I've been kind of waiting for Rogers to, you know, he's not going to like collapse or something, but 
his level of play, I've been skeptical that it would maintain at the level it's been, despite the fact that he had this great reputation. We've had this like flip on him where everyone thought he was playing at an elite level when he wasn't, and now this season he really <laughs> has been there. Um, and the Bucks game was the one game where I was where I was thinking to myself, okay, here we go, right? <laughs> right? They got some pressure on yeah. him. They pressured him a ton. This was, I think, it was the only game this season where he's had where he was under pressure forty percent or more of the time. Although there have been some other games where he's where he's, he's come close, but he, he he was under pressure a ton, and then he they just kind of collapsed. The offense collapsed, and then they got behind, and then it was it was just extremely difficult to to work it. Um, how much do you think coaching matters in this one? Because Again, it's tough to define these things, but if you look at the the charts that are put together, many of them by the Athletics' own uh, Ben Baldwin, where he's looking to look at teams that have gained the most win percentage by fourth down decisions, or not. Well, I guess it's lost the the la- the least win percentage. I don't know anyone's gaining anything. Um, have, have lost the the least versus the ideal. Um, it is the Green Bay Packers are right there as being the best. The Buccaneers being the worst. Uh, the Bucks seem to be somewhat obsessed with starting off their drives, running the ball for two yards with Leonard Fournette before they actually try to have some offense in in their drives. Um, and I guess just generally that that back and forth, you see one guy seem being very shrewd on the cutting edge of these things in Lafleur, and then Arians on the other side. How much do you think those that that coaching matchup really plays into this? Uh, I think it definitely can. I mean, cause I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a close game. So if like LaFleur is extending a, you know, a drive with a few, you know, going for a fourth down where Arians would it, and he gives his team kind of, you know, one or two more visits to the red zone. Like I think that can ultimately be uh, the difference here. I, you know, but I, I do, um, I do think that the kind of the, uh, the rod bigger than that, I think kind of the big question will be if they can continue to uh, get to Rogers uh, the way they did in that first game, like you mentioned, being pressured 40% of the time. Uh, Cause if they can, then, you know, I think it kind of throws everything off balance and it, it gives, uh, gives the bucks a bit of a chance. Yeah. But it's just, I think there's also an element of, I mean, Rogers is not playing in, He's not as reliant on the play action and the system as a Jared Goff or even as a Baker Mayfield, but he's kind of in a hybrid. Like, he's using that a lot. I mean, they do use a lot of empty and other stuff, too. Um, but, you know, this is one of the few times where I think Vita Vea coming back, maybe if they can, like, plug up the run, I do think that affects the um, the Packers more for what they do. I mean, if you look at, like, the touchdown they got to Alan, Alan Lazard last week, that's almost entirely based upon the fact that they could play action and have these guys bite in and then and then beat them over the top. So I, so I think that's an interesting point. Now, from the NFL's perspective, who do they want in the Super Bowl? Do you want Tom Brady or do you want Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl? Because let, let's think conspiracy oh. theory. I got, my conspir- I got my tinfoil hat on here. Oh, who are the referees going to put in here? Because I think there's there's a case for either one of them. I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like the, I don't know. I personally feel like Brady is like the more fun narrative. Cause I I'd kind of just like that. He's just like kicking Belichick's butt in terms of the, who like who was more responsible for the greatness uh, sort of argument here. So I think that would be really fun. And also just like him getting to play, you know, first team, what like first team actually hosts the Super Bowl in their home stadium or whatever. Uh, that would be, that would be kind of nice. Though on the other hand, I guess the NFL wouldn't be as incentivized by that uh, this year since there won't be as many fans in the stands. But I, 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 my guess is Brady. That's who, that's who they would want. What about you? Yeah. I, I, to- I totally forgot about the fact that we finally solved the, the Belichick Brady a hundred percent in Brady's right. direction. Zero, zero percent for Bill Belichick, which I, which I like because coaching coaches don't matter is a little bit of, of, uh, of my thing here. So, all right, well, we reviewed it all. We went over the Texas, the most interesting team. I thank you so much, Aaron, for joining me. Have, have an interesting few weeks here. I hope things get resolved and I hope for your sake, actually, I don't know. Do, do you want, okay. Okay. From a personal perspective, um, like I know it's interesting. We think about teams, right? And we think about the players on on the team and the players is saying like if Deshaun Watson leaves, you have a down season, you have a rebuild. We got to start thinking about the beat writers too. You guys have to go through a rebuild, right? Like you, you have to be part <laughs> exactly. of, of a rebuild. So, so we don't want to rebuild for you either. I think, I think that's, that's a key point. So do do, 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 do so, so for your sake, hopefully this thing gets resolved and you won't have to waste your, your, your best years as, as, as a beat writer on a, on a rebuilding team. So I hope for that for you. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is when I have the most energy and the most, uh, you know, I'm only going to get worse as time goes on. So like, I don't want to be wasting this time on a, on a bad team. I, I, you know, truthfully, regardless, like I, 
I, I, if I'm going to cover a bad team, like I'd rather be a team that has a lot of interesting stuff going on. And I think you can at least uh, say that for the Texans, like I'd rather be doing this than covering some like middling seven to nine team that has a quarterback that everyone agrees is not that good, but they're not really in a position to get a better one and whatever. So uh, regardless of what happens, I think it'll be fascinating and I'm looking forward to, to write about it. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be good off season. It'll be, uh, you, you get a lot of clicks. You got the clicks going, although you guys don't do clicks over there at The Athletic, but g- get them anyway. Um, yeah. Anyway, anyone, anyone uh, listening, please rate, review the pod. Let me know what you want uh, going forward. Hit me up on Twitter at Kevin Cole PFF. Are you, are you at Aaron Reese? Is, you, is, is it just your name there? Aaron uh, J. Reese. Someone else took Aaron Reese. I'm not, I'm not sure who it is. There actually is another journalist who is named Aaron Reese. And sometimes we get like, crossed emailed but he writes about much more important things like gentrification and like stuff like that so did you get hate mail do you get do you get or hate tweets about what he's writing uh every every now and then so i i he he writes for like uh what makes it even more confusing is he also sometimes writes for the atlantic so it's it's just uh Yeah, I remember that. When, I think when Jamel Hill went over to the to the Atlantic, there was like the an athletic Atlantic thing going on there. So right. <laughs> reading comprehension, not not so high there. But again, th- thanks, man. Uh, I really appreciate the time, and I'll, I'll be looking out for everything you're writing this off season. Sounds good. Thank you. Uh-huh.